0: Welcome to our Didache Divine Service, Session Eight: Man and the Fall. We are still in the first article of the Creed. Uh, Steve Lewick asked me, "Are we not having class next week? Why not?" We are having class next week. Uh, there's two columns in the green sheet schedule, so, or actually three. It gives the date, and then there's two other columns. The middle column there indicates if there's the principal Bible reading that we're studying, the other column, part of the catechism or liturgy. So uh, we are meeting next uh, Monday, God willing. Our hymn is 953 We All Believe in One True God, a simple three stanza hymn on the Apostles' Creed. Let us begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God, grant that the birth of your only begotten Son in the flesh may set us free from the bondage of sin. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Hymn 953. Oh, we are... As a part of our review, we will actually take a look at the first article explanation from the catechism. If you have your Lutheran catechesis book, you have two choices. You can either turn to page 77 or page 85. You actually have a third choice. You could go to the back of the book where the entire catechism is laid out. But I'm on page 85 because I have some notes in my catechist edition. The first article of the creed itself is one of the shortest parts of the catechism. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. So brief, so simple, and yet so profound because, as we discussed last week, To ascribe all of creation to God means that all of creation is dependent upon him. What is so lovely about the small catechism is it takes the objective truth of the first article that we heard last week in Genesis 1:1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, all things, that objective truth, and it speaks of it in what might be called a subjective way. I believe that God has made me. If you feel at times as if you are lost in a sea of meaninglessness, in a world that is disconnected from God, that is falling apart at the seams, and you don't know your place, the catechism says God has made you as well as all creatures, that he is giving you your body, soul, eyes, ears, and all your members, your reason and all your senses, and still takes care of them. So Carl Sagan back in the 1970s used to speak of, you know, billions and billions, and the earth is just one tiny speck in the vast, meaningless sea of the universe. Well, that's ridiculous. We are as we discussed last time, the objects of the God of the universe is love. And not only we collectively, but each one of us individually. So the Catechism picks up on that. Can you recite the explanation with me? What does this mean? I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul, Eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them. Ella, stop there just for a moment. Has made me and all creatures. There's the objective, all things, and the subjective, me. Notice humanity. We'll talk about this again today. Now, body and soul. He's given me my body and soul. We're not just a soul. We are body and soul. And the body is very important, the tangible body. If it were not important, there would have been no reason for the Son of God to have become man. We are in communion with God physically as well as spiritually. Okay. And then the last phrase that we said still takes care of them. That's a really important assertion. That we as christians make if you go back to the first commandment you shall have no other gods trust me this is a corollary to that we who trust him confess he takes care of me he still takes care of me the world would say no you got to take care of yourself and of course there's truth we are to take responsibility for things you know going to work making a living and so forth but still From all of that, our daily work to the food and the drink and the medicine and the doctor care and so forth, that's all the way in which God takes care of us. So he's given me body, soul, eyes, ears, all my members, my reason, the whole thinking processes, all my senses, and still takes care of them. That's what we call the continuous creation of God, Continue to be engaged. Thomas Jefferson was a deist. And he sort of believed that while there may have been a God who created, he takes a holiday, things run by natural processes. For the Christian, no, God remains intimately involved. Okay, let's go on to the next section. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all I have. Now stop. By spelling some of these things out, which are so ordinary and concrete, it actually helps to bring home the concept of God's daily care for each one of us out of love. The food that I have today comes from God. The drink I have today comes from God. My house comes from God. The home we make together in the communion of love, in the fellowship of family, comes from God. My land. I didn't think, I thought I'd be living in an apartment when we first moved here. I don't know if you remember that, Don. But now I've got land, you know. Two and two-thirds acres of land. Uh, That's from God. And animals. Well, we used to have cats until the coyotes ate them. But, you know, that's the way it goes. Now my extra garage doesn't smell throughout the winter of the stench of cat, okay? But the idea, we don't stop long enough to pause and reflect upon all of this. Instead, in our life, when one little thing seems to be out of place according to our liking, where are you? Where is the God of love? Oh, hello. Did you get up this morning? Did you breathe? Were you able to go to the toilet? I consider that one of the great blessings, okay? All of our life, And all that we are and have comes from God. And uh, when we talk about the fall into sin, here God gave them everything. Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but I want that one. There was only one tree they couldn't have, and that's the one they insisted upon. Okay, You see the nature of sin. But the creed and its explanation here in the small catechism is a confession of faith and reliance and confidence upon God the Father, who is the provider of all things. Notice. All these verbs in here like he gives me, he gives me, he gives me. That's the language also of grace. The next uh, phrase, he richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. Stop, there you go. Richly and daily provides me. That again, underscores God's grace. We today in the United States, 2020, live better even even the poorest pauper like Stephen Sandy over here, we live better than the greatest of kings in the ancient world in terms of, I mean, you set the thermostat and you have exactly the temperature you want, heat in the winter, cool in the summer, fantastic. Last night, I had a porterhouse steak, came from our steer, Beth had a T-bone, man, it was good. We eat better than kings. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. So those, those two little paragraphs there from he also gives me clothing and shoes down to uh, support this body and life, those are all the ordinary gifts of daily bread. Continue. He defends me against all danger and guards and protects me from all evil. Stop. Defends guards, protects. Luther said in the large catechism that it pains the devil when a Christian eats a morsel of bread and enjoys it. And what the devil wanted to do in his rebellion against God as a fallen angel is to destroy everything that is good and all proper enjoyment This is another theme of the first article of the creed. God created the world and all things for you, for me, for mankind. We are the crown of his creation. He created all these things and he wanted us to enjoy them. Now sin, the fallen to sin, means that we can sometimes make idols, gods, out of the good gifts. But prior to the fallen to sin, his creation of all of these things was that he wanted us to enjoy life from him in every way. okay? But the devil wants to destroy it. And if the devil were not restrained, life would be far, far worse than it is. So if there are troubles in this world, things like hurricanes, earthquakes, pandemics... God permits them for his purposes. And unfortunately, the church is not asking the question, much less providing the answer to the question today, why does God do this? In part, it may be the call to repentance. In part, it may show us how we tend to rely upon things other than our creator and savior. Okay? So in the midst of the things that we suffer, all the more he's calling us to trust in him, to rely upon him, and to not be afraid because he defends me against all danger and guards and protects me from all evil. Now this next sentence is a statement of grace. Let's say it together. All this he does only out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy, without any merit or worthiness in me. That's the motivation of God's love, which is his by nature, that self-giving love without any merit or worthiness on our part. The same love that moved God to create life, to create us in his image, to give all things to us, everything that we need and to defend us, that same love that caused him to do that is the same love that moved him to give of his only begotten son to redeem us from the mess that we made out of our lives. Same love motivated him to create as motivated him to save. And finally, the last sentence. For all this, it is my duty to thank and praise, serve and obey him. This is most certainly true. That is the response of faith. And there is only one thing that can give us satisfaction and contentment in this world. And that is to live by faith in what God gives. Under the first article of the creed in creation, under the second article in our redemption, our salvation from sin, and under the third article in the Holy Spirit's sustaining of our faith in the peace of God, the peace of sins forgiven. All right, there's the first article of the creed. Any comments that anybody wants to make before we move forward in our outline? Wally? Is
1: the uh, second last point here about uh, without any merit or worthiness in the. Yes? Is Martin, um, Luther, when he wrote this, was he thinking in terms of uh, there's only uh, a grace through Christ? I'm sure he was. Well,
0: he, yes. Is what he's doing here, uh, Wally's asking all this he does on a fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness. Let me rephrase it. Is he linking that to you know, salvation by grace? and not by works, absolutely. Our creation, I mean, how many of you, I asked this last week, I think, how many of you contributed in your creation? Raise your hand. You know, if all of creation came about monergistically, that's God's act, without any contribution, nothing existed. So the creation can't pat itself on the back for coming into existence. If that's true about creation, how much more about our salvation? So both creation and salvation are by grace and not by our works, okay? So that's a good observation on your part, okay? Good. Let's go to Genesis chapter 2. And while you're going to Genesis chapter 2, I have further review, just very quickly to keep it before your eyes from last week, The triune God of love created all things out of nothing by his word. We observe that God said, and it was so. He also governed and ordered the creation. You know, he exercised dominion. You can see that after he creates, how he delineates things, the parameters of their existence and so forth, and all by his word. Second bullet there. Man is made in the image and likeness of the triune God of love. In his being and in his doing. We made the point that God created us to to be like he is, a community of loving persons, and to do like God does. He is fruitful, creates life. He exercises benevolent dominion, lordship, he creates us to be fruitful, to exercise a gracious dominion over the creation. So we're created to be like He is, community of loving persons, and to do like He does be fruitful and multiply and have dominion over the creation. The final bullet there the fall into sin has marred the image and likeness of God, and we will see that today. Instead of being self-giving in love, he became self-centered and selfish, egotistical and bent in upon himself. The results this results in a fracturing of all human relationships, and a complete inability to fear love and trust in God. That's what original sin means. It is this disease of sin passed from Adam down to all of us. We have no, according to the flesh, after the fall, we have no capacity to love God with all our heart. So unless we are regenerated to faith, we cannot bring ourselves to faith. Uh, Wally, this goes back to the point about merit or worthiness. Just as creation entirely God's work, salvation entirely God's work, so bringing about faith where there's unbelief and actually hostility toward God. That's what mankind has become, hostile to God after the fall into sin. So when we're conceived in the wombs of our mothers, King David said in Psalm 51, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. So it's not simply that we do sinful things, say sinful things, think sinful things. We are sinful according to the flesh, and there is no natural love, or trust in God were curved in upon ourselves. And I said that this affects every relationship. How many of you who are married have never had anything but absolutely blissful communion between you and your spouse? Raise your hand, and then I'll call you a liar. Okay? It affects, even the best of relationships are marred by this bent in curved in self-centeredness all right so that was from last week and anticipating this week with the fall into sin man in the fall and I said last week in Genesis there's like three creation accounts Genesis 1 1 is the first God created all things heavens and the earth that would include mankind already implied in verse 1 the rest of the chapter then the ordering of creation in the Six days of creation, the seventh day of rest, which becomes a pattern then for how we're designed. You can't work continuously. You need rest and refreshment. Um, Third, the third account is then what we have today. The detail into the creation of man. And also in this detail, what was talked about in chapter one, being created in the image and likeness of God to be fruitful and to have dominion, then plays itself out in chapter 2 more specifically. All right, we will start at verse 7. The Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being, a living soul. So the breath of life is no one less than the Spirit of God, whom the Father breathes into the dust of the ground, this first man, who is named Adam, that's what his name means, man. Adam means man. Where is the woman at this time? Within him, yes. And the word woman in English, as well as in so many other languages, means taken out of Man, okay, verse eight. And I want you to understand: He made him from the dust of the ground. It is emphasizing the material uh, aspect of man's creation, as I said before. It's body and soul, not just soul. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there He put the man whom He had formed. Now, part of the function of chapter two. The man, Adam, is created first, and the woman not instantaneously right afterwards, and it serves a catechetical function, as we will see in the verses that follow. Out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Notice the reference to the goodness of the creation echoes what we had last week in chapter 1. And it was good, and it was good. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, question. Does God only create what is good? Yes, he only creates what is good. To the extent that evil enters into the creation is not God's fault. The serpent, for example, was an angel, we learned elsewhere, who rebelled against God. And he fell and by his choice became evil and took a boatload of angels with him, and we call those demons. The tree of life is created by God. So is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You say, how can that be? If you ate of it, it would bring about death. Are there not things in your home, those of you who are parents, uh, and remember the time when your kids were around, the things that you had in your home which served a very good purpose but were not to be touched by your children? Just because they're not to be touched by your children, does that make them evil? No. no. There is right use of things, and there is wrong use of things. Electricity is a wonderful good thing. But to stick my tongue into the light socket on the wall is a stupid thing. That is not how you're to handle electricity. Okay? So the tree of life is good, and so is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because God made them. And we also learn from chapter 1 which then is extrapolated out here again in chapter 2, that God determines the use of a thing. You go back to the Ten Commandments and the gifts that God protects. Man is good. Woman is good. Marriage is good. Even the gift of human sexuality is good. But it's only good for a man to be with his wife, not with the wives of many other uh, men. There's proper use and there's improper use. And it is always God's what that determines what is proper or improper use. Roseanne? His word. Yeah. Just as God's word created all things, so God's word determines the proper use. That's part of the ordering and the governing of the creation. All right. I'm going to skip over the rivers, uh, but the importance of water here in verse 10 through 14 in those four rivers. Why four? The number four is associated with the earth, with life in in this world. The four winds, north, south, east, west, and so forth. It's also parallel to the water over which the Spirit of God hovered in the first chapter. You know, so you've got water in the first chapter, the Spirit of God hovering over it. You also have water in terms of the breath breathed into uh, Adam's nostrils because everyone's breath has water in it, including the breath of the Spirit, who is the Lord and giver of life. But we'll skip down to verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. So Adam is created to be a gardener. Has sin happened yet? No. So work existed prior to the fall into sin. Some of you think that work is a curse associated with sin. No, only the toil of work, the hardships of work. But work in and of itself is God's good gift, and For us as Christians, we learn from the scriptures that it is through our work, among other things, through our work that God takes us into his creative work and the exercise of dominion and so forth. So he loves to share with us what he himself does. So when we talk about daily bread, give us this day our daily bread, we don't sit on our duff and wait for a parachute to come out of heaven with the loaf of daily bread in it. He provides daily bread by giving us the wonderful privilege of holding down a job, of working for the benefit of our family, as well as the employer who employs us. So all of those things are part of what God provides. So he puts him in the garden to tend and keep it. Verse 16 and the Lord God commanded man saying Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Notice how that echoes the generosity that Luther has in the first article explanation. He's given me my body, soul, eyes, ears, all my members, my reason, all my senses still takes care of them, clothing, shoes, food, drink, house, home, etc. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. For to eat of the tree that I have not given you, says the Lord, is to turn away from my what? My word, which is the source of life. That's why there's death. There's no other source of life than the life that comes from God by his word. That's true not only of creation, it's true of salvation. It's true of our being brought to faith. No wonder, then, we continue to have catechesis and church services because our very life and salvation depends more on the word of God than it does about vaccines for viruses. Because eventually some virus or some sickness is going to get us all We need the word of God. That's the one thing needful. That's what Jesus taught Mary and Martha as Martha was busy with all kinds of other things and Mary sat at his feet and Jesus said, she has chosen the one thing needful. It will not be taken away from her. All right. Where is Eve again at this point? When God is speaking this word, you may freely eat of all of this, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. Where is she? She is within him. Therefore, she receives the word of God through whom? Through her husband, through Adam. This is part of what we call the order of creation. Already in Genesis 2, we have a churchly or ecclesiastical situation going on here. The order of creation is one of the reasons why the ordained ministry, where pastors stand in the stead of Christ, is reserved for men and doesn't include men and women. Now, liberal churches over the in the 20th century have begun ordaining women to the ministry. Uh, that is an what we call in German an unding, but that is illegitimate. Just like the world today is calling two women who come together a marriage that is not. Or two men, a marriage that is not. So there is an ordering of things. And one of the things I'm always fascinated on every single year is the impact that fathers and mothers have on their children and how different they are. It's not simply that children need parents. They need a father and they need a mother. There's a difference between them. Just as there's a difference between a husband and a wife, a man and a woman in God's economy. There's there's a difference between God the Father and God the Son. They're not the same person. And God the Holy Spirit, they're not the same. He's not the same as the Father and the Son. So we should embrace the differences as also being gifts from God. But let me remind you what we just said. The woman will receive the word of God through her husband, through the man, through Adam. So he becomes her what? If it's a churchly or ecclesiastical situation, what did you say? Pastor. Pastor. Or let's use a different word than pastor, which means shepherd, preacher. Okay? The uh, pastor's not bad. Actually, husband, husbandry, animal husbandry, that's what a shepherd engages in, isn't it? Okay. What is the consequence of turning away from God's word and eating of this tree, according to verse 17? Death. 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 Now, this tree while it is called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, does not give knowledge of good and evil in terms of accelerated or advanced intelligence, but the knowing of evil by participation in it, a knowing that they did not know beforehand. Do you follow? It's like doing drugs, Kathy. You don't know what that is like actually until you experience it. But do do you become enlightened? Do you become smarter? No. No. Remember the old commercials, this is your brain on drugs, the egg frying in the pan, you know? It's the knowing of participation in something. It's just like, this is why we do protect our elementary grade children, preschool, first, second, third, fourth grade. We don't show them, we shouldn't watch it either, but we don't show them the garbage on the television. We don't show them the garbage in the movies because it is damaging to them. They might, quote, know what it's like to see people having sex together outside of marriage or committing rape or other things like that, but it's damaging for them. You see, it's that that kind of knowing. You follow? Now, the devil is going to say something about it, which is a lie. Remember, always be suspicious of what the devil says. All right, coming back down here. Verse 18. Now, everything that we're going through now is setting up chapter 3, the fall into sin. But verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. Now, just stop there. Why not? According to chapter 1. George? He needs someone to love. It's not good for him to be alone because he's made in the image of the triune God who is one God, yet three persons. He cannot, he's not yet, you know, imaging the likeness of God, the one God who is three persons. And then secondly, it is not good for the man to be alone. As George says, he needs one to love. It's not good for the man to be alone, because if he's alone, he cannot be fruitful, nor can he actually exercise proper dominion. This difference between a father and a mother, does only one exercise dominion or do they both? Father and mother both exercise dominion, but in different ways. There's a different way in which a mother exercises dominion over a father. I mean, that was true in my household when the kids were growing up. And it was, it's also true, I see it in John's household with his urchins, the difference between father and mother and the interaction. But both are called to exercise dominion, but each according to their office. Okay. It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Or the old King James is actually pretty good here. Do you remember the word? Healthy. Fit. Fit fit for him. It's a word that sounds like geometry. And it is. That's the connotation here. The man and the woman fit together and make a whole and out of that union called one flesh, there's the possibility for children. Two men don't fit together. Two women don't fit together. Okay? So out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them, and whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. Notice, what is Adam doing here that God did in chapter 1? He's naming things. That's right. Look at God not only created, but then he named things. He called things this, he called things that, and he ordered that creation. In so doing, what was God exercising? Dominion. Now he brings the animals before Adam and he gives Adam the opportunity to exercise dominion because he's made in the image and likeness of God. Verse 20. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. Now remember I told you that chapter 2 This creation of man in detail, which has, in part, man's opportunity to observe. Here, Adam is observing this. It's catechetical. He's teaching him something. There is only one uniquely fit for you. The one whom I will make for you. Now, notice how God is the creator. What is good for you is what I make for you what I give to you, not what you demand and insist on, okay? Now, after the fall into sin, that's what man does. He manifests that rebellion in his cursing of God, insisting upon things from God that he wants, and in so doing, he makes not only a God out of himself, but he comes, becomes totally introverted. So God is not flying by the seat of his pants here, by the way, you know, like... Oh, gee, brought all these animals. The ostrich doesn't seem to be a fit helpmeet. What am I going to do? He's not scratching his head. He knows full well what he's going to do. There's only one who is uniquely fit for him. Verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs... And closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he, that is the Lord God, brought her to the man. Now there's a lot here in verses 21 and 22, and we could spend all session on them, but we can't. We don't have quite the time for that. First off, God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. What day, what day is this yet in creation, according to chapter 1? It is the sixth day still. So this naming of the animals, busy day, busy day involves also the creation of male and female, Adam and Eve. Okay? Remember that six days of creation ended with God finishing the work of creation. And then what did he do? He rested. And that becomes a pattern for us. But also, the six days of creative work in that week of creation... Corresponds to the six days of the week of redemption. And how did Jesus finish the work of redemption? He died on the cross. On what day of the week? On what day of the week? Okay. Yeah. yeah you, so speak, talk to me. Yeah. On Friday he dies. And what does he say on the cross when he dies? It is finished. It is finished. And then his body falls asleep in death, is laid to rest. A deep sleep falls upon Adam. In the Passion of our Lord, according to St. John, John observes that the soldier pierced Jesus' side and outflowed blood and water. And John says, he who is seen testifies to you that it is the truth, and he knows that he's telling the truth, that you may believe what's going on. Do you remember the scene immediately prior to that, where where Jesus, seeing Mary, his mother, and John, the beloved apostle, said, woman, behold your son, son, behold your mother. It's coming here. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh." Jesus is the second Adam, as the first woman, Eve, called the mother of all living, that's what her name means, was formed out of the side of Adam, her husband. So, the second Eve is formed out of the side of the second Adam, Christ. The second Eve, who is his bride, the church. And that's the climax of the St. John Passion. Remember St. John's Gospel, how it began. We looked at it last week. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. It parallels Genesis. There in chapter 19 at the Passion, we see the man leaving his father and mother and cleaving to his wife, whom God the Father would form out of his side. You think of the sacraments of baptism water, and the word, the sacrament of the altar, the blood of Christ, the body of Christ. So the church is formed as the bride of Christ. That's all over the New Testament, that uh, she is his bride, and he is her husband. He is called the second Adam. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. So seeing these patterns already at creation, is significant. We talked about the day of creation, evening and morning. That bespeaks death and resurrection. The six days of work, the seventh day of rest, of creation, corresponds to the week of redemption. As Eve is formed out of Adam's side, so the church is formed out of the blood and water, the commodities of atonement that Cleanse us of our sin. St. Paul talks about Ephesians 5, you know, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, and talks about how he cleansed her by the washing of water and the word, and made her a beautiful church without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. All right. Uh, John?
1: So I've been struggling to find the King James Version that says fit for him.
0: Yes? Yes? English standard version, right, King not King James. I'll stand corrected then. fit uh, a revised standard version. That would be, that would be interesting. I think, yeah, I think, uh, cause ESV is, is more recent, but it was back when I was a kid and we used the RSV in the Missouri Synod back then. Yeah. Okay. Let's continue on here then. Look at the reaction. So he makes a woman and he brings her to the man. So here again, The creation of Adam is all God's doing. The creation of woman out of Adam's side is God's doing. The bringing of the woman to the man, the institution of the marriage, is God's doing. Adam said this is a confession then of faith. This is prior to sin. This is now bone of my bones, he says, and flesh of my flesh. Notice how he emphasizes the corporeal existence, the material. She shall be called woman. Woe man, which means taken out of man. Therefore, verse 24, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Notice how that parallels Genesis 1 26 uh, and 27, created. In God's image, male and female, he created them. For unless they are created male and female and made one flesh, they cannot be fruitful and multiply. This is why Jesus then, in catechizing in his ministry on marriage, says, therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. For nothing could be more of a grievous breach in being made in the image of the triune God of love, than to break apart that one flesh relationship, which is to shadow the image and likeness of the triune God. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed because they were no, there was no sin. But let's talk about this further. When we talk about God's nature as self-giving, sacrificial love, The Father gives of himself entirely to the Son. He's called the only begotten because he's in this relationship of receiving the divine nature from the Father. The Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. All three persons share completely in this divine nature of self-giving, sacrificial love. So prior to the fall into sin, the idea is of Adam gives himself entirely to his bride, Eve, withholding nothing and vice versa. And that's what marital love was initially created to be. that's why they're naked, but they're not ashamed as they give of themselves to the other, and at the heart of that giving comes the procreation of children, life. Where there's shame is where you are ashamed of what you are, what you have become. And I say both things, what you are, what you have become, and also what you do. So shame, you don't want to divulge what you really are or what you have become to another hence shame. And that's that's indicative of sin. It's why Adam and Eve will try to cover themselves after they fall into sin. All right, moving on. Chapter 3. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. We made the statement that just as God wished to enter into the creation and to become one with us, which he did in the person of his son, he wanted communion with us, body and soul, even prior to the fall into sin. Some people think that the incarnation of the son of God was, again, sort of an afterthought. Uh-oh, man fell into sin, what am I going to do? I guess I've got to become man. No, to be in communion with us is what God wanted to do from the beginning. The devil, on the other hand, he is always aping God, so he enters into the creation too, but not as a man. He enters into the creation and takes the form of a serpent. It further underscores how Adam's fall and the intrusion of evil into the creation, over which man had been given dominion, remember, is then affected. So you could say, everything that's wrong in the world has its origin in Adam's fall, and then the consequence of that fall, God cursing of the creation because of what Adam had done. And he said to the woman, he more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Oh, I sometimes make the comment here that all cleverness, a sense of humor, craftiness, all of that comes from God. He's got a greater sense of humor than any man or woman that ever lived. He's craftier than any person that has ever lived. Every personality trait that we can think of uh, finally comes from God. Now, in him, there's no sin when he is angry, when he shows wrath. Sin in us takes wonderful aspects of human personality and Twists them for self-centered ends. But, but God is a lot of fun. Now that might sound you know, pedestrian to say, but I'm simply saying he's interesting. That it's not like, have you ever met someone who's very interesting? With a fascinating personality, you just like to be around them? Yes? Okay. Well, All of those kinds of characteristics had an origin, not in the person you like to be around, but in the ultimate cool guy, God, okay? So all of those attributes are are a part of God, including personality traits. But coming back here to the text, he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden'?" What is he questioning? God's word. To whom is he speaking? Eve. He is addressing Eve. When God spoke his word, to whom did he speak? Adam. How did Eve receive the word? Through her husband. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, which we know to be the tree of the knowledge of good and evil from the previous chapter, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So the serpent contradicts what the woman said God said. Now, I'd like to cut to the chase here for the sake of time. Many argue that, uh aha, you see? Eve added to God's word? I say, no. Adam was her preacher. If you compare what she said here, God said, with what you have in chapter 2, chapter 2 says the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And some would say, see, there's no mention of touching. She could have touched it, but she added to it. I say, no. Where did she receive the word? From Adam. Adam was her preacher. I stand in the pulpit on Sunday morning or here this Monday and I catechize. I'm supposed to be teaching you only what God's word says. I'm supposed to be preaching only what God's word says. Does that mean the only thing I do from the pulpit is quote the Bible, chapter and verse? No. I read from the scriptures and I expound on what they mean. Consider this Adam receives this word, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not eat it, it will kill you. So, do you think that he instructed Eve to fondle the tree and its fruit? No. Furthermore, is it possible to eat fruit without touching it? It's impossible. Even if you bob for apples and the only thing that touches it is your mouth, it's still touching them. It would be like, stay away from that hot stove, David. Did your mother ever tell you that? Did you pay attention to her or did you put your hand on the burner? Most of the time time you paid attention to her and when you didn't, you found out she was right after all. How many times have you said that to yourself over these years since your mother's gone on to be with the Lord? More More than you can count. Okay. So she is not saying something that is not in keeping with what Adam would have given her and taught her from God's word. But the serpent, the serpent calls God a liar. You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, you will be like God. Knowing good and evil. What's wrong with what the devil said? If you eat of this, then you will be like God. Given our discussion about the creation of man in the image and likeness of God. They were already like God. Are they going to become more like God when they eat of this fruit or less? Less like God particularly how the nature is corrupted. Instead of sharing in God's nature of self-giving love, they become bent in on each other. Selfish, self-centered, full of pride. They don't become more like God, they become less like God. And this knowing of good and evil, oh, like we said earlier, they'll know what it is to sin, but it's not going to make them smarter. It's like that... Movie line, dumb and dumber they become, okay? So when the woman saw, now notice what is governing her here, when she saw that the tree was good for food. I think this is very important. This was not an ugly tree. But just because something is beautiful doesn't mean it's going to be good for you, depending on your office. I'll I'll use the example of a woman who is not your wife. She may be beautiful, drop-dead gorgeous, but you're not to eat of that fruit. You follow? So the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is good-looking. It's a handsome tree, luscious fruit, but this fruit is not for you to eat. She sees it as a tree desirable to make one wise on the basis of what? The lie of the serpent. She took of its fruit and ate. Now, as a kid, I always was given the impression that Adam was off playing golf, Don, or something like that. But he wasn't. She also gave to her husband with her. And he ate. Now, I remember, my Hebrew ain't very good but there were questions I had when it came to studying Hebrew that I wanted definitive answers for. Is the word with in the Hebrew? And it is. So here this whole time, what is the man doing who is charged with preaching God's word, protecting the honor of God, and also protecting his wife from assaults upon God's word? He's keeping his big mouth shut. And there's an inversion here in the order of creation. Serpent talks to Eve and gets at Adam. God talked to Adam to give to Eve. One way is the right way, the other way is the wrong way and leads to destruction. He keeps his mouth shut. And ever since the fall into sin, men have been spiritually lazy. You can look at back across your life, if you've been a lifelong Christian, and you could say to your, ask yourself the question, if only one parent is coming to church, which one more often than not is it going to be, the man or the woman? And not in every case, but more often than not, it's the woman. She fills the vacuum created by her spiritually deadbeat husband. Well, that's what it's all about here. Now, part of the reason I think that many are quick to blame Eve is because uh, they don't realize this connection. From God's point of view, in the New Testament, he says, as in Adam, all die. Adam was her head. Adam was her protector. Adam was her preacher. He abdicated his responsibility. Some have asked, when did the fall of the, into sin take place? When they turned away from God's word. It came to its fruition when they ate of the fruit. But already, when Adam is abdicating his responsibility and not defending God, it's happening. Notice how the woman governs what she does on the basis of what she sees rather than what she hears. Okay? Uh, experience. Feelings, emotions are never the criterion of what is true and what is good. All right. Um, One final thing here. It says in the New Testament that the woman was deceived, but Adam was not deceived. I want you to think about that for a minute. That makes
2: it
1: worse.
0: That makes it worse, doesn't it? Yeah. She's deceived. He wasn't, and still he did it. See, when people go to that passage, they want to see, see, the woman, let's put the screws to her. As Adam would do, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. But here, he knew full well what he was doing, and he did it anyway. How about that? No wonder the Bible says, as in Adam, all die. Because he's the point of origin for the whole human race. Besides that, they're one flesh. All right, so what happened? What happened? The eyes of both of them were opened, they knew that they were naked, they sewed fig leaves together, made themselves coverings. So they really become smart because they think that they can now hide from the God who knows all things. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking. Notice the emphasis that Moses, in recording this, puts on hearing. The hearing that at one time brought them joy and peace now is a source of guilt and fear. Walking in the garden in the cool of the day and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the garden. It's also the idea of walking in the garden where you already see the allusions to God taking on anthropomorphic form As he ultimately would in the incarnation of the Son of God in Mary's womb. Now, the Lord does not start with Eve, he starts with Adam. The Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? Not because he doesn't know, but to call him out into the light. So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. I became a sinner, and now I fear you. I'm naked. My shame is my transgression. And I hid myself. And he, the Lord God, said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Again, he asks not because he doesn't know, but to call him to repentance, to call him out into the light of day. And the man said, The woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I ate. Who does he blame? He blames God who gave him this woman. Notice how this blame game that we see here is something that we still observe today. Just like we said a moment ago... The man's abdication of his spiritual responsibility as head of the household to teach the word of God, to teach his children, we see that today. Now, this blame game, we see that today. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And the woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. It's true, the serpent deceived her. It's still no excuse. This is where it comes from. The devil made me do it. Since the devil made me do it, therefore it's not my fault. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle. Now notice how the text in your Bibles changes. It's indented there. It's in poetic form as opposed to the running prose of the narrative. And that's because it is a riddle. Remember, What had God... See, I kept this with me today under my robe. When God gave dominion to the creation, it was like he was giving the keys to Adam. When Adam and Eve ate, it was as if they're giving the keys of the creation back to the serpent... or uh, giving them over to the serpent. So what Adam and Eve did in the fall into sin has corresponding effect on the creation. The creation no longer will be pristine. So the serpent is going to crawl on his belly. It's typifying how all of creation is affected by Adam's fall. All On your belly you shall go, you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Now, the Lord God is talking to the serpent. I will put enmity, that strife, warfare... Between you, serpent, and the woman, and between your seed, serpent, and her seed, he, the seed of the woman, shall bruise or crush your head, serpent, and you, serpent, shall bruise or crush his heel. This is a riddle promising redemption from the serpent who had tempted them by contradicting God's word and brought sin into the world. Kathy? In Roman Catholic theology, I've seen pictures of Eve, or excuse me, Mary crushing the head of the serpent. Okay, in, in, she's, you've seen she's in seen Roman right theology Eve crushing the head of the serpent. Sp- Mary. <coughs> or Mary crushing... Yeah, that, that image of Mary crushing the serpent's head is in contradiction to this. It's not Mary who does it, but the seed, the offspring, namely the virgin-born son. So, so is it
1: they're implying that Jesus is... Yeah, in, in
0: Roman theology, there, Mary is often portrayed as a co-redeemer, <clears throat> okay, uh, which is in violation of the word of God. And this theme of God is the sole source of creation as well as the sole source of redemption. I mean, this, is
2: pretty clear, right?
0: this is pretty clear. So you understand the riddle here, the image in this promise. How do you kill a snake or a serpent? You don't cut its body. You crush its head. All right. And typically you would do that with your heel, as it were. The seed of the woman is Jesus. Seed of the woman indicates virgin-born. He crushes the serpent's head, but in the process, his heel is bruised. What is that bruising? His suffering and death. So by his suffering and death, he crushes the serpent's head. Now, we will begin uh, here next week, or not next week, but in two weeks, to talk about the power of Satan from which we are redeemed. But I'll... I'll say it today to prepare you for that. The power of Satan was God's own word. You eat, you will die. That's why the serpent wanted them to eat, to destroy, to bring about death. So this is why the seed of the woman, the son of God, is born of the virgin without sin to die man's death. And we'll talk about that under the first lesson of the second article of the Creed. But this is a promise uh, of the cross of Christ, the virgin-born son, the seed of the woman who would crush the devil's head. And then to the woman, verse 16, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So this verse 16 is not only forecasting the pain of childbirth, but the pain of child rearing. So the emotional pain that mothers especially will go through in the rearing of children. The desire of the woman is going to be to usurp the office of her husband. And the husband's tendency is to abdicate. That goes back to how he kept his mouth shut and she filled the vacuum. Centrifugal force of the woman taking over headship responsibilities because the husband is a sluggard has continued since the fall into sin. How many of your husbands are so? No, don't answer that. (laughs) Uh, Then verse 17, to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. Notice, you listen to the voice of your wife, who listened to the serpent. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Again, this is in that poetic form that the earlier verses were in. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Notice... Now, in the curse of the fall, this is God cursing, it affects humanity in those, most especially in those areas which are unique to how we're made male and female in the image of God. To be fruitful, in pain you will bring forth children, and in dominion, one's daily work will be toilsome in the sweat of your brow. See? So there's great harmony between the first chapter, how we're created in the image of God to be fruitful and to exercise dominion, and God cursing the creation, which is like giving mankind and the creation a spanking as we feel our human frailty in the rearing of children and in our daily work. Okay. Now, when we gather together... Uh, We are going to talk about the terms under the first article of the Creed next week, which will enable us to review some of these things, including how the Lord will... They tried to cover themselves, their shame, with what? Fig leaves, leaves, plants. He will cover them with animal skins. Already in chapter 3, there is the idea of blood atonement and sacrifice introduced. And we'll see that in chapter 4 also uh, with Cain, the man who tilled the dust, murdering Abel, the shepherd. Sound familiar? The point is that the cross, the suffering and death of Christ, is not just in the New Testament. It's already in the first chapters of Genesis. Susan? Yes, Isaiah 53 read on Good Friday, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. You see, the shame of the fall is reflected in Isaiah 53, where the same verb about bruising or crushing in the Hebrew is used. Uh, He was bruised for our iniquities or crushed for our iniquities. Let us continue with the communion liturgy. O Almighty God, merciful Father, I, a poor, miserable sinner, confess unto you all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended you and justly deserve your temporal and eternal punishment. But I am heartily sorry for them and sincerely repent of them. And I pray you of your boundless mercy and for the sake of the holy, innocent, bitter sufferings and death of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, to be gracious and merciful to me, a poor, sinful being. Upon this, your confession, I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the Word, announce the grace of God unto all of you, and in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, you invite all who are burdened with sin to come to you for rest. We now come at your invitation to the heavenly feast, which you have provided for your children on earth. Preserve us from impenitence and unbelief. Cleanse us from our unrighteousness, and clothe us with the righteousness purchased with your blood. Strengthen our faith, increase our love and hope, and assure us a place at your table where we will eat eternal manna and drink of the river of your pleasure forever and ever. Hear us, Jesus, for you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God. Now and forever. Amen. The Lord be with you. you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God.
2: It is right to give him thanks and grace.
0: It is truly good, right, and salutary that we should at all times and in all places give thanks to you, O Lord, Holy Father. Almighty and everlasting God, for the countless blessings you so freely bestow on us and all creation. Above all, we give thanks for your boundless love, shown to us when you sent your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, into our flesh and laid on him our sin, giving him into death that we might not die eternally. Because he is now risen from the dead, and lives and reigns to all eternity, all who believe in him will overcome sin and death and will rise again to new life. Therefore, with angels and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, Holy, 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 Lord God of sovereign earth. earth, heaven and earth are full of thy glory. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of all creation, for you have had mercy on us and given your only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. In your righteous judgment, you condemn the sin of Adam and Eve, who ate the forbidden fruit, and you justly barred them and all their children from the tree of life. Yet in your great mercy, you promised salvation by a second Adam, your Son Jesus Christ our Lord, and made his cross a life giving tree for all who trust in him. We give you thanks for the redemption you have prepared for us through Jesus Christ. Grant us your Holy Spirit that we may faithfully eat and drink of the fruits of his cross and receive the blessings of forgiveness life and salvation, that come to us in his body and blood. Hear us as we pray in his name and as he has taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. Eat. In remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. Amen. Amen. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, have Have mercy mercy upon us. us. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, have Have mercy mercy upon us. us. O Christ, thou Lamb of God, that takest away the sin of the world, Grant us thy peace. Amen. They come forward in groups of about ten. O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good. His mercy for for forever. Almighty, and everlasting God, we thank and praise you for feeding us the life-giving body and blood of your beloved Son Jesus Christ. Send us your Holy Spirit, that having with our mouths received the Holy Sacrament we may by faith obtain and eternally enjoy your divine grace, the forgiveness of sins, unity with Christ, and life eternal. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Lord bless you and keep you.